I mean, after Parkland, you put your kid on the bus and you think, I hope my kid comes home today. Welcome to Unearthed, a podcast brought to you by the WBRU News Team. And I'm your host, Ellie Morimoto. With the recent rise in mass shootings, it's a scary time to be a student. And it's also a scary time to be a parent. Jennifer Boylan fears for her kids that maybe they won't come home one day. Here's WBRU News reporter Hannah Park with the story. After Sandy Hook, I took out my son's Nerf guns, which are just Nerf guns, right? And I literally, I like threw them in the trash. Like I could not look at him holding one of these white plastic toys with orange. I just couldn't look at it. Jennifer Boylan is a mom and she's learning to parent in the era of school shootings. And I threw them all in the garbage. I caught a lot of hate for that from the kid who was like, Mom, I can't believe you threw my toys away. I'm trying to be reasonable and let my kids play with what all the other kids are playing while still making them aware of the seriousness of real guns, because it is just toys. She has two sons, a 9-year-old and a 15-year-old. They live in Barrington, Rhode Island, where people know their neighbors and children go to schools blocks away from home. You can hear the wind louder because we're near the water. The median income for a family in Barrington is almost $125,000. It is predominantly white and affluent. This scares her. It's impossible to just put it at the back of your mind and think, well, that's never going to happen here. Um, when, I, when I think about like the way Newtown looks and the demographics of Newtown, it could easily be Barrington. I mean, it's the same... I don't know, suburban, affluent community. It could happen anywhere. So to me, it's it's a very vulnerable feeling. After Sandy Hook, I mean, I, I pretty much thought about it every single day that I put my kid on a bus. Every day. I mean, after Parkland, you put your kid on the bus and you think, oh, I hope my kid comes home today and that it's a non-event in my town. Jennifer said her kids have to practice about two lockdown drills a year in case of a school shooting. In the meantime, like, of course I want my kids doing these horrible drills. Like, they have to, right? They have to. Jennifer experienced the lockdown drill with her son's fourth grade class. It was the first one after the Sandy Hook shooting. She was volunteering on Valentine's Day five years ago. Um, So the classroom door was locked. Like, half the shades didn't go down because it's school. You know, they pull the shade down, the shade goes up to the ceiling, and you never see the shade again. It's like 12 feet above your head. But anyway, so um, then we all try to get into this closet. So it's, I don't know, 20 kids and three adults. Um, And it's not really a closet. It's like a cubby of depression on the side of the room. So there's no door. You're not in anything. You're you're just in a little depressed alcove in the classroom. And we didn't fit... um, Uh, Half the class was on the floor in the classroom, trying to squeeze in. Jennifer's eyes never left mine as she described the experience. It was the adults in the room who had, you know, just watched the horror of Sandy Hook. It was still very fresh in everyone's minds. Um, Everyone knows that the lockdown drill at Sandy Hook, the fact that they drilled and practiced, um, was was critical and, and helped save lives that day. But being on the floor in the classroom and looking at the other teachers who were all, we were all communicating with our eyes silently, all of us blinking back tears, all of us with our hearts in our mouth, 
it was one of the scariest things I've been through in terms of in terms of the school <laughs> classroom where you're supposed to feel safe, where you're supposed to be learning. Um, the the standard procedure is the cops walk down the hall and make sure everyone's locked their doors and they check the door. And when you're sitting there in silence and someone checks the door, you know the whole we all jumped a mile. You know it's um, and I'll never forget it. It was it was a horrible thing to go through as an adult. Jennifer and I drove to our local grocery store where she goes almost every other day. The water is on our left. Um, even earlier this year, I was driving across one of the bridges in my town and I, it's so beautiful with boats and water. And I, I said to them, I said, look out the window. It's so <laughs> beautiful here. Where I grew up, it did not look like this. Take a minute to look how beautiful it is. She's buying salmon today for dinner. The $4.99 salmon pieces, I don't know what they are. They're about half a pound each. Can I get two of those, please? She tries to make every day include a family dinner. She gets the kids ready for school, works from home on the family business, makes dinner for the family, and tries to finish more work in the evening. So she's busy. I think I'm that abnormal as an American mother that's juggling work, kids, and extracurriculars, if you will. Jennifer's main extracurricular is her activism for Moms Demand Action. She is the volunteer state legislative lead for the Rhode Island chapter. She regularly protests at the state house and meets to discuss legislative efforts. This means she hasn't finished a book in two years for a book club. Average American, an average American just, I think, watches TV at night, right? Relaxes, chills out, maybe folds the laundry in front of the TV, but does something very mellow at night. And that, that's not me. I don't sit, I mean, once in a while I do, but not regularly. Jennifer invited me to her house for the interviews. The entrance of her house is decorated with large blue hydrangeas. There's also a hate has no home sign in her front yard. The house isn't extravagant, but it's a house for a family, one built to raise kids in. The first thing I see when we walk through the door is a large cutout of C-3PO, the Star Wars character. Family photos line the halls as we walk towards the kitchen, especially ones from when the boys were younger. She clears her son's laptop and chargers before we sit at the kitchen table. It stinks to have a working mom that can't just like go to the beach all day. So I want them to have fun camps for sure and have fun stuff. And I make every day fun and have something fun to do. Like I'm going to pick him up and, you know, I'll say, what do you want to do now? Uh, do you want to go to the beach? And if he wants to do something, I was thinking miniature golf might be good today. It's not too hot. Mom's Demand Action is what Jennifer describes as the Mothers Against Drunk Driving for Gun Violence. It's an activist group of moms who say they want to keep their communities safe. It started as a Facebook page after the Sandy Hook shooting. She says they are not anti-Second Amendment. Some moms demand action members own guns and enjoy shooting. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it so many times over the years that the very pro-Second Amendment people, they just think we're coming for their guns and we just want to do away with all guns and that we don't want any guns. And that's just not true. They're not hearing us. Um, 
we are not anti-gun. We are pro-gun responsibility. And um, with rights comes tremendous responsibility when it comes to owning guns. Her husband is a gun owner, and in her eyes, a responsible one. He's formally trained and has a license. When he's not using them for hunting, he keeps the guns locked up. Jennifer's never even seen them. She said he understands safety concerns, and I asked her what he thought about the gun debate. He's satisfied with the fact that I'm doing what I can against it so he can go about his business and not, I think. He knows I've, I've got it for our household. I'm working on the issue. <laughs> and you're comfortable at this? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't need him to... I mean, I, I want his support, and I've got it. I, and that's, that's all I want, really. What does support look like? Support looks like I say to my husband, I have to go to the state house tonight, and I'm going to leave at 3, and I don't know when I'm going to be back, and can you take the kids tonight, because I'm not going to be home till probably 11, because I have to go to a gun bill hearing, and that's what support looks like, is him saying, absolutely, you go, I've got this. I mean, that's what support looks like, supporting me from home. The ultimate goal of Moms Demand Action is to prevent gun violence by changing gun laws. Last year, they successfully lobbied to pass a bill that took gun access away from people convicted of a domestic violence misdemeanor crime. There's another bill that's been around for years now, the Safe Schools Act, that should be passed into law um, to prevent concealed carry permit holders here in Rhode Island from carrying loaded firearms on school property that's K through 12 and uh, public and private. In addition to the legislation, preventing gun violence means changing gun culture. And it takes it even a step further in that if you're a parent and your kids could be at someone else's house, it's on you to ask about the presence of a loaded firearm in someone else's house because no one else is going to do it for you and you know you need to protect your children. So changing the culture so that asking these hard questions when you send your kid over to someone else's house it's easy and acceptable. It's as easy as saying friends don't let friends drink and drive. Culture is something that is tossed around often in the gun debate. President Trump blamed the violence in video games and movies for inspiring mass shootings. Less than a month after the Parkland shooting, he organized a meeting with video game executives. I can't attribute gun violence in our country to video games. I just can't. Not with the data that I've, you know, the studies that have been done that show other countries have the same games that we have. Something else is really different about America, and it's the access to guns, the number of guns, and the infatuation with guns, and the attitude that more guns makes us safer, which I don't buy for a minute. School shootings are not the bulk of the gun violence that affects the country. The CDC reported that 80% of gun homicides in 2016 took place in cities, and black Americans are the majority of gun victims. So I asked Jennifer, why aren't we talking about the gun violence that regularly affects communities of color? If you have one here and one there and five there, it just doesn't capture the media's attention, I guess. You know, I, I, I certainly, you know, kind of follow the, like, what's going on really locally here in my state and the ones where children, to toddlers, get a hand on a gun. I, I always seem to see those. Um, domestic violence shootings, which tend to be, get a little more press, perhaps, depending on the situation. And, you know, most mass shootings have some kind of domestic violence component anyway. 
Um, but I think I think it's a crying shame that the that there's not the level of attention. But it happens all the time, and I guess people get saturated. I, I'm not sure. Do you think race plays a part? Probably, yeah. This might also have to do with the makeup of Mom's Demand Action. On their website, there are pictures of moms in the state house or in a rally, yelling and holding up posters. They're passionate about their cause. They're also primarily white. So in practice, here in our state, what we've tried to do to, to diversify our membership and to erase, like we've been frustrated by the fact that there's so much gun violence happening right here in Rhode Island that we're not a part of. Like, so as a suburban white mother here in, in my little part of the state, um, I'm very removed from, you know, the six murders, the six gun homicides that have happened in Providence this year. So how can we support the communities that need more support or that, that could benefit from it? And, and the key there is support. I mean, we don't want to come in and tell them what to do, but if there's a way we can support their efforts, it's something we're happy to do. Do you think those communities feel support from Moms Demand Action? I don't know if, you know, I'm, I can't speak for them. I hope they do. I asked her if she ever discusses gun violence with her kids. When another school shooting has happened, or when there's news that there's been another homicide in Rhode Island. She doesn't talk about it with her 10-year-old son, but her 15-year-old? There's not a lot of, not a ton of dialogue there. <laughs> Standard teenage boy stuff. I usually want to know, like, are you are you thinking about this? Are you reading about this? Are you um, troubled by this? It's not usually a deep conversation because I don't get a lot of response. I know he's thinking about it, but I but we don't have deep conversations about it. Why? Because he's a teenager. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, there's not a lot of conversations. I mean, you know, how is school good? How is camp great? I mean, <laughs> you know, I have to dig and dig and dig to pry a lot of info out of him because. Um, he's 15 and he's got earphones on his ears and he's doing his thing with his friends. So I think it's just the age. Do you think he's personally troubled by it though? I don't, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, he's got to be, but um, not to the point that he's going to talk to his mother about it. Jennifer skips lunch, so she's eating fruits before picking up her son. She's going to prepare salmon and like every family dinner, the boys will argue who has to set the table and then clean the dishes. And then there'll be a fight over who has to clear the table. Mm. <laughs> Usually it'll be, I set, now you have to clear. Well, I set last night and you cleared anyway. But it's important to her. She loves her kids and she wants them safe, like any other parent. And Moms Demand Action has given her a way to fight for them. We are really anti-gun violence, and it needs to stop. The gun violence needs to stop, and um, we're looking for solutions to do that, and we think we've got a good leg up on some, some strategies, and we're going to keep going. This episode was brought to you by the WBRU News Team in Providence, Rhode Island. Special shout-out to Andy Corbin, Yashi Wang, Karya Zenner, Rainey Zimmerman, Eileen Foe, Elise Kipnis, and John Klein for their help in making this episode happen. The mission of Unearthed is to have people talk to one another, so we'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave your comments on iTunes or DM us on Instagram at WBRU News. I'm Ellie Morimoto, and thanks for listening.